This is an exclusive presentation of WoWo 1190 AM and 1075 FM. Unholstered, giving you an in-depth look at all the stories, events, and topics that show how our officers serve and fight for our community every single day. Good afternoon. Welcome on in here to another edition of Unholstered. I am one of your hosts, Kayla Blakesley. For those of you who are new to Unholstered, uh, this is the show where the local media has teamed up with our local Fort Wayne Police Department. The local media is me, by the way. I host a uh, radio program here in Northeast Indiana, and we've teamed up with the Fort Wayne Police Department to share and tell all of the stories that don't often get told when it comes to backing our men and women in blue. And I say it every week. No topic is off limits. My co-host joining me now, we've got Sophia from the Fort Wayne Police Department. Good morning, everyone. I'm Captain Sophia Rosales-Catina from the Fort Wayne Police Department. Welcome to Unholstered, and I'm glad we have this opportunity in this platform to reach out to you to tell you all the details, intimate details of the Fort Wayne Police Department, exactly what we do and how we uh, make this city a little bit safer. You just hit the nail on the head uh, for today, the intimate details of the <laughs> Fort Wayne Police Department. And I'll be quite honest, I don't know how I feel about this one. Uh, you, you said to me a while ago uh, that you wanted to focus on the CAPS program, the Crimes Against Persons. You kind of delved in a little bit with me about what that is, and I thought, oh boy, because this deals with a lot of the rape, uh, the child molestation. But like I just said in the opening, you know, no topic is off limits. And this is unfortunately a part of your job. It is. And I think it's an important part of our job. And it's important that the public know exactly what's going on in their communities. I think so many times we get caught up in our own our own kind of world that we forget that there's actually victims of these horrendous crimes out there and there are numerous victims in this community. And we have to hold space for them and what they're going through and understand that these cases are hard. They're hard on the victim. They're especially hard on the police who have to investigate. They're hard on medical professionals who also have to investigate. So I just want people to kind of understand what these crimes are and how difficult they are to sometimes investigate and prosecute and just have a better understanding of that and a little bit of grace before we kind of shout out at someone, well, you should have done more, you should have done this. Well, who did you bring in to tell us more about it? Uh, this morning I brought in uh, Sergeant Jim Hoppert of the Crimes Against Persons Unit of the Fort Wayne Detective Bureau. And uh, Jim, I'll let you introduce yourself. Uh, good morning. I'm Detective Sergeant James Hopper of the Fort Wayne Police Department, and I am one of the supervisors of the Crimes Against Persons section. Man, I, I don't know how else to say it other than your job to me sounds kind of depressing. Um I can't imagine working, you know, with cases involving child molestation, for example, or rape. So I got to ask, how, how did you get where you are? Um, I just uh, bid to the Detective Bureau two years ago, and that's how I got into the position. Okay. That's how a lot of the sergeants rise to the position and the detectives. Sometimes it's the open billet and they just come up into that position and they're like, um, you're in caps now, you know, and then, then they start to... Uh, Trying to navigate the learning curve. How long have you been with the Fort Wayne Police Department? I've been with the department for 22 years. Oh, wow. So tell us all about CAPS, Crimes Against Persons, right? Am I saying it? That's that's what it is. I mean, what does that even mean? It means that the type of crimes we investigate are rapes, sexual batteries, child molestings, um, child neglect, child abuse. It can voyeurism, stalking, battery to the elderly. Um, that's the gist of it. 
they're all the worst of the worst. Yeah. I mean, they're they're really playing upon the most innocent in our society. You know, elderly children and and women at times. Um, so it, it's just it's a really tough job, and and I know um, that we take. I, at least I do. I understand because I've I've worked some of these cases back in the day when I was in the detective bureau, and I didn't work them at the number of cases that these detectives are working. They're solely dedicated to these crimes. Um, where I was kind of a hodgepodge of everything, but I knew when I got those cases in how important they were um, that that justice be served in some way. And so it just makes you kind of dive into that case a little bit harder. And you take this stuff home with you. Yeah. I mean, we have kids and, you know, we, we look around, we've raised kids or, you know, we have kids. And it's, and it's especially difficult when the victim is the age of our own children. Um, and it just hits home and you kind of carry this around in the back of your mind. And, you know, and it's easy to become cynical as an officer when you're com- constantly, you know, these cases are just thrown at you and because they don't stop. I mean, you don't get one case and that's the only case you have. Some of these caseloads that these detectives are holding are are quite numerous. Um, so you've got to manage your time. You've got to manage these victims. You've got to manage information. And, and you got to do it right because these cases are so important. Well, let's start there, Jim. I'm hoping I see you've got like a stack of papers with you. I'm hoping you can uh, share this with us. You know, Sophia mentioned numerous times that there are numerous cases and there's just a number of them constantly Do we have, you know, for, I don't know, an average for the year for Fort Wayne in terms of how many crimes against persons cases you're dealing with? Well, last year we investigated 463 cases. Smokes. And we have nine detectives and two supervisors. And we, as supervisors, we also investigate some of these cases. Um, We don't just assign the cases. We get involved as well, so we understand the work. Um, We did 96 rapes last year, 104 child molesting cases. Um, 47 child abuse and neglect cases, 12 sexual batteries, and we did 114 um, ICAC investigations, and those are child porn investigations. So am I safe in assuming you're working on multiple cases at any given time? Yes. Most of our detectives have between four and six or seven cases at a time they're working on. I think sometimes as a civilian, you know, self-included, I'm saying me, you know, we have this stereotypical idea that as a detective you're just working on one case till you solve that crime and you put a nice little bow on it and you're all done and you move yeah. on to the next. Hollywood's done a good job right. with that. And that's yeah. truly what I, unfortunately has kind of created that perception. Uh, you mentioned off the air, Sophia, like SVU uh, for example. And yeah. you watch those and they, they solve one crime. They you know find the, the suspect, tie it all up with a bow, but that's really not how it goes. No, that's not how it goes at all. It's, this, it's a continual process. It never ends. And um, some of these cases, they take a long time to complete. They take um, anywhere from a month to three months That's sometimes. That's my next question. What's a typical day like? And I know you obviously can't probably give some details, but can you kind of walk us through uh, when you get this call and how does it go from maybe uh, you know a patrol officer maybe rolling up on something to, to reaching the CAPS division? Sometimes a patrol officer will get called out to these investigations while we're working and they will call us and we will send detectives to the scene. And then at that point we coordinate with the sexual assault treatment center, if that's appropriate, or depending on the time lapse between when the crime occurred and when it was reported. And we also work closely with the Dr. Bill Lewis Center for Children who forensically interviews our victims or many of our victims. Mm. 
So, and that's a whole other process. Um, I went through that the first year we you started did? the program. I did. I was a child forensic interview interviewer for years, and it's a whole. You go for like a week of training, and you learn how to talk to children because you can't lead children. You can't lead the questioning. Mm-hmm. You have to let children open up. You have to build that rapport. I mean, it really was the, probably the basis of all my communication that I've been doing throughout my career that has landed me here. Uh, on this show. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that you have to start somewhere. And it's a whole new world when you're dealing with kids. And this the, the, the center has just done incredible work. And we've gotten really good interviews. And it's, it's made to have the children have less traumatic um, impact because the situation is bad enough. The incident is bad enough. But you don't need it added on with their trauma by repeating this story 20 times to every agency. So what the center does is everyone comes from the agencies that are involved in these investigations and there's one interview and they all sit in a room and the interviewer's in with the child and there's communication through an earbud to the interviewer and as the interviewer is talking, if they're not eliciting the information that a certain agency needs for their investigation, they can go in and tell the interviewer, hey, I need this information and the interviewer can then ask questions of the child. Um, that would elicit a response for what the information that they need. Okay, so, it's kind of like TV then, in that regard. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's, but, you know, it's it's hard because I've had, I've had some kids just come in and, you know, it takes hours. Yeah. And then other kids just come in and they're like telling the story as they're like an adult. I had one child um, tell me one time, you know, I'm like, at the end, I'm like, well, you know, what do you think should happen to this person? She goes, and she was only six and she's like i think they need to sit in jail and think about what they've done for a while wow and i I, and but the whole interview was like i was talking to a young woman like like 20 Mm -hmm. 22 just her vocabulary and some sometimes these kids grow up so fast it's just it's sad so what happens after that interview or conversation is had what's the next steps so it goes back to then to the detectives, and they take that in- information, and they sit down with these agencies, the prosecutor's office. They work really closely with the prosecutor's office. And I know people get a little bit um, discouraged at times when you see some of these sentences that are handed down for, for some of these crimes against children. Um, Jim, tell us, like, if, if we have a child molestation case, tell us, walk us through how that happens and how we end up in this sentencing phase with these plea agreements, things like that. I mean, why did I'll let you explain why they kind of happen the way they do. A lot of times with the child investigations, I mean, the prosecutor's office has a really difficult job. And um, I know that um, Karen Richards gets a lot of grief, or mm-hmm. she gets some grief sometimes in the community for she not does, doing yeah. enough. But she does take a lot of these cases herself, especially the child abuse. Um, but... I mean, obviously, there's 463 investigations every year or around that number. So they have to, the the prosecutor's office has to try and measure what's best with the victim's needs, their family's needs, and the community's needs, and try to come up with a solution or a sentence that is appropriate. And I I don't think that's an easy job. I think that's, I think they have a difficult job. It, that would be a terrible job because then there's someone like me who thinks anyone who molests a child, there's a certain place in hell for that kind of person, if mm. you know what I mean. Yeah. So I, I don't envy that job in any way, shape, or form. But is there, a, again, I don't know the right lingo here, but like some kind of formula where a certain level of crime equals a certain sentencing period? Some of the child molestings are level one felonies, the same as murder. So those oh, wow. individuals get sentenced 
consistent with those who commit murder in Allen County. So we do have detectives that are working on level one, level two felonies, extremely um, important investigations, uh, the same as homicide. But we don't get all the uh, recognition that homicide gets. Yeah. No, no, you don't. Well, what really is kind of, and I want to bring it up, too, is these cases are difficult on the victims themselves. Yeah. I mean, having to go to a trial or something like that. So sometimes plea agreements are made in the best interest of the victim mm. and the, maybe the family's wishes. Um, the victims are consulted, I would say, a majority of the time, if not all the time, with the prosecutor in the sentencing. Is this... Is this okay for you? Really? Um, I'm not going to say it happens all the time, and I'm not going to say that it doesn't happen even if you disagree with what the plea, plea deal is. But I know in terms of, of when I've been injured on the job uh, in some kind of fight or something like that, and there's charges brought up against that person, the prosecutor's office does consult. This is what we're leaning towards. What are your feelings on this? And they'll give you an opportunity to talk about that. So a lot of times the families just, just want this closed. Mm-hmm. And we're just trying to mitigate and do the best that we can to protect society at the same time serving justice for the family that they want. And knowing that we're limited on if this does go to court and it gets pushed to court on, you know, it's a child and you never can predict what they're going to mm-hmm. how they're going to testify or how they'll come across. Um, so it's just it's it's a difficult balance. These are cases are so difficult. Um, it's not like a homicide case at all because these are still children that are alive and women that are alive having to tell that story in a, in a public forum and it's very for them very shameful unfortunately and they they're shamed for a lot of this a lot of this is like you brought it on yourself or you did this or you did that when in reality it's always always the suspect's actions you run into that a lot then i think it's it a stigma themselves. of yeah. if we're talking about rape or any kind of sexual Kind of thing, especially with an adult person. Um, you know, you hear it all the time. Well, she was dressing that way, mm-hmm. or she shouldn't have been walking there, or you know, it's just that myriad of, of terms that come out when people they're so we're so judgmental on these kinds of issues. And you know, I, I don't know that it happens that way for children so much, but I will say this: and we've seen a lot of cases with teachers and and students. But you know, look at just look at. Some of those comments, you know, well, especially if it's a female teacher with a male student, well, uh, they didn't look like that when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hey, I didn't ever have that opportunity. It, no, it's not right. This is a person that is supposed to be a protector of children and they're a predator of children. I don't care if you're male or female. It's wrong and it shouldn't happen. Do you find in uh, cases with rape that a lot of times women perhaps don't come forward because of that reason, that they are, they are shamed or all the judgment or they don't want to press charges or they're scared of maybe it happening again? Does... I'm, I'm sure that happens. And even in cases that are good cases where the victim is very credible and believable, sometimes we don't have enough evidence. And that makes it hard, too, because yeah. we have to have difficult conversations about what can we prove? And if something happened a long time ago, is there any evidence available to prove it? Because we have a really short window. As it stands right now, with what we do with the Sexual Assault Treatment Center, we have 120 hours in when rapes occur to collect DNA evidence. So, and so often, what happens if you don't have it within that 120 hours? We don't get it. So a lot of times we don't have the DNA evidence. If somebody waits three months, reports something, a rape, for example, that occurred, we don't get the DNA. Well, then it's if those two, if the victim and the perpetrator were the only witnesses there, 
it's the one word against it's yeah. their word against the other. Yeah. And so we don't have any way unless there's video or a confession or some or something like that that we can find. You know, it's a lot of times we don't have uh, enough evidence to charge anyone. And it's not like we don't believe victims. I mean, and I'm not here saying that every person that comes forward and claims this is, is being truthful with us. But sometimes if, even if we don't have evidence, I mean, I've been on things where I believe someone, even though I don't have evidence mm-hmm. to prove it. But that doesn't mean I can do anything about it. I'll still try to do my worst, best. Right. When let's say you really do believe them or you, you do know deep down yeah. whatever situation happened and you just can't prove it. What's that like? It's awful and frustrating. And <laughs> unfortunately, it happens more often than not. That's why reporting is so important. And I know that. It, it's scary. It's uncharted territory for a lot of people. If you're a teen, you don't want to tell your parents what happened. If you're a young woman, you don't want to tell anybody you're shamed because you think that, that you're responsible for what happened. And I just want people to know that that's not true. And reporting is so important and timely reporting is so important, especially on our side for collecting evidence. So if, if this happens to you, if you know someone that it's happened to, if you're a friend of someone and someone confides this in you, call us immediately you know what? It's still your choice whether you want to go forward and do the investigation mm-hmm. in, in the forensic exam, but at least have that knowledge to know what your options are and and let us know and, and report this. Because this may be like this person's man or woman, fourth, fifth time doing this, but no one's ever come forward. Right. You so, could be the person that stops them from doing it again. Yeah. And it's so important. So I, I just want people to be strong and know that you can come to us and tell us this. And, and you know what? We're not we're not shouting this from the rooftops of what happened. This, this stuff is very um, confidential. And these detectives hold that confidentiality very well. What other kind of evidence in these cases are you looking for? I mean, obviously, in the, in the case of rape, you're looking for DNA. And I'm, I'm sure in obviously physical bodily damage. But what, what other kind of evidence are you looking for when... You're investigating these cases. We're looking for witnesses, other people that know what's going on, especially in the case of child molesting. Sometimes there's an, there's another parent or adult in the home who may or may not know what's going on. Um, a lot of times their brothers and sisters are interviewed also to kind of get a big picture of what's going on. And the Department of Child Services helps us out immensely because they do a lot of times their investigations parallel with ours. And, or a lot of times they do theirs ahead of ours because parents have a vested interest many times to talk to Department of Child Services representatives because they want to keep custody of their kids. Right. And so they okay. cooperate with their investigations, and then whatever they uncover, they pass to us. So a lot of, we get a lot of help. We use the, the, so a lot of their family case managers as witnesses in our cases, and um, they end up helping us make a lot of good cases, actually. Technology is also a big one, too. I mean, we've talked about, you know, when we talked to Detective Helmsing about the phones. I mean, those go, go and cover social media conversations, you know, evidence from those kinds of things, phone calls, texts. Uh, a lot of these a lot of these don't stop. They're constant maybe grooming, especially when it comes to molest. There's a lot of grooming information on social media. There's grooming information through text. You can pinpoint where people are. Um, with techno- with cell phone technology, computer stuff. I mean, we pull a lot of stuff off computers for child pornography cases, um, solicitation uh, cases, things like that. That it's just it, there's a myriad of, of evidence out there. Fortunately, that we get our hands on that we can then go forward and prove these cases. What about in a case of 
let's just use a teacher and they keep seeing a student come to school with just constant, I don't know, bodily injuries and just depressed or, you know, what in a situation like that, let's say a teacher reports it to, to the higher ups and the police do need to get involved. Again, how does that kind of a situation work? We see that happen all the time. Yeah, I feel like I hear um, about cases, unfortunately, in my line of work like that all the time. And I just always wonder how it gets from point A to point B. Um, the teachers reported to the Department of Child Services. Okay. And the other supervisor, Sergeant Todd Battershell, and I um, review all the reports from the Department of Child Services. Everything in Allen County we look at. Um, wow. So I did around 800 of them last year, and Todd did about the same or maybe more. So we look at everything, and people and representatives of the prosecutor's office do the same thing, and people at victim assistance do the same thing. So there's a lot of overlap, and we communicate with each other to try and pre- prevent anything. Which is a good thing, right? Yes. I mean, you don't want to miss anything. We don't no, want to I mean. miss anything. But when that particular teacher reports something, normally I will contact the Department of Child Services caseworker and say, okay, this person, this victim reported this happening last week. Tell me about that case. What's going on? Do you have any pictures? And they'll email me pictures. And, and they, like I said, they make great witnesses. They email me pictures. If they have any witnesses, they've already talked to them. Um, and then we'll start our investigation almost after they've completed theirs, really. So we'll, and then we will redo some of those, some of the work, the interviews, things like that. And then we'll start putting a case together for child abuse, for instance. I didn't realize what a big role the Department of Child Services had uh, with you guys, just kind of working neck and neck. The redundancy is important, very important, because, you know, we may, you know, with with 800 cases that they're each looking at, plus the cases that are actually coming in from the street officers and reports and things like that, you can see they're could be overwhelmed with cases um, that they have to do. So obviously things can be missed on a level of you just didn't read that right and you thought you read it somewhere else where someone else catches it. Like, hey, take a look at this. Oh, yeah, I read that. And you did see this. Oh, no, I didn't. I missed that. Um, you know, we're humans. We yeah, err. So um, especially with this kind of level of, of stuff coming at you, um, it's really difficult. Uh, but you know, these are all things that work together. And next week, we'll hear from the Sexual Assault Treatment Center. We'll have Michelle Ditton in here, who um, founded that program. And we'll talk about, you know, collecting evidence from children and, and adults, um, forensic evidence that we then can use in a court of law and what they do and what that entails and how, you know, the center came into being. And it, it was their 25th year or 25th year anniversary uh, last year in 2021. So they've been around for 25 years. And we all had gone down to Cincinnati to become child forensic interviews at the same time. So that was when the program all started and got kicked off. Jim, I'm going to make you shuffle through your sheets of paper there again. Do you have, I want to just make sure we touch on crimes against the elderly as well. I don't hear about it often, and again, in, in my world, in the news world, but I know that it happens. No, I don't see it that much. We have had, we had some egregious, a few egregious cases last year. But once again, we're also limited by what we can prove. Yeah. So a lot of times these get reported and, well, a lot of times some of our victims are um, mentally challenged or um, they have dementia. And so it's really hard to make a case when you don't, even, when you don't have a victim who can tell you what happened. So we're, we're kind of limited in that regard sometimes. Do you feel like in terms, you said uh, you had a little over 460 cases last year in terms of crimes against persons. And I hate to always bring this up, but do you feel like COVID has had any impact on those numbers? Because to me, I would think with all this pent up aggression and people locked inside for almost you know two years, especially when it comes to to spouses uh, and, and whatnot, or again, your kiddos, 
Have you found those numbers go up, I'd say, over the last, you know, year and a half, two years? Yes. I, I think COVID definitely had an effect on our unit because in 2019, we had 117 uh, rapes. And in 2020, we had 66. So that number fell by about half. Hmm. We, but we, I think we discussed this with the chief. Then we, we felt they were underreported in 2020 yeah. just mm-hmm. because they weren't at school. They weren't at work. They were at home, probably with maybe their, you know, perpetrator or the suspect. Right. They were unable to report. Oh, gosh, that's horrifying. They weren't going to school where they could visually be seen by a teacher who would then report. Um, they didn't feel safe reporting because they were around that person who maybe was, you know, the person. So those numbers could be pretty deceiving. Then, yeah. For probably. 2020, I think the big drop yeah. was just a drop in under. It was, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, had to do with underreporting more mm-hmm. than anything. Because in 2021, we saw those numbers go back up to those levels of 2019. And you know, there are a lot of negatives, obviously, when it comes to COVID. Yeah. Can't quite think of many positive, but boy, that's a major negative. These it kiddos is. being stuck at home with abusive parents. Yeah. Yeah. And they can't get out and there's no one to tell. There's no one to see them. Um, and, and with the elder abuse as well, I mean, it, it's maybe a lot of neglect, elder neglect. We have a... Uh, organization and that adult protective services that do help with those kinds of things but they don't level they don't rise to the level of a criminal investigation a lot of times it's just um it's just sadly we've broken away as families jim before we let you go i'm just do you sleep well at night (laughs) i I sleep fine you sleep fine (laughs) i can't imagine i just i I can't imagine doing your job but i'm so thankful that there are people like you who do do your job i think most of our detectives do all right we um we uh, distribute these cases amongst them all equally. So not any one detective is in charge of just child molesting or just child porn. So you're not just like it's, weighing on that all yes. the time. So okay. they, get a, they get a variety of these cases. Yeah. So it isn't just one horrendous thing that they're seeing over and over and over and over again. It's, and they range in severity, some of the cases from the bad to, um, I guess, milder. If that's a better, I don't know if that's a good term. Have you come across anything? I think, that, I think that some of our detectives, and we think about them. Yeah. You know, I mean, we think about them while we're working on them, or, you know, what else can we do, or have we done enough? And um, I think we have really good detectives who are really committed to our community. And, you know, I'm proud of the work they do. But you're able to, like, compartmentalize yeah. all of that. And that, that unit, I got to say, hands down, was probably one of the hardest working units, you know, alongside homicide. These cases just keep coming, unfortunately, and there's someone that has to deal with them. So before you say defund the police, you need to know what you're talking about and who that's going to affect people you have no idea that even exist. Well, Sophia, you already mentioned what's coming up uh, next week. Usually I'm always like, oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) And I I still don't know how I feel about next week's episode either. But as always, if you've missed any episodes of Unholstered, you can download us anywhere you can download a podcast. It's your town, your team, your topics. This is Unholstered. Thanks for listening to Unholstered. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And remember, you can listen every Saturday morning at 1030 on WoWo 1190 and 1075 FM. Podcasts by Federated Media.